Welcome to Feel Better, Live More Bite Size, your weekly dose of positivity and optimism to get you ready for the weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by AG1 from Athletic Greens, one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've come across. It contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes, and so much more, and I myself take it regularly. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more to access a very special offer. They are giving my listeners five fantastic travel packs and one year supply of vitamin D free of charge with your first order. See your details at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Today's clip is from episode 132 of the podcast with author and experts on the compulsive nature of technology. Adam Alter. Now in this clip, Adam explains why technology can have such a pervasive impact in all areas of our life, our health, our happiness, and the quality of our relationships. There are so many positive uses of technology, but I think we all need to be mindful in how we use it, and Adam gives some great tips to help us restore balance and live a rich, meaningful, and contented life. been running this experiment for years now and I keep collecting additional data and it's it's a really really simple experiment it's about as simple as experiments get where you ask people to make a choice and you record the choice they make um, and I've been running this with with kids as young as 13 and adults as, as old as in their 90s and the simple question is you have to make a choice one of these things is about to happen either your phone's going to drop out from your pocket hit the ground and shatter into a million pieces and you're not going to have your phone anymore or a small bone in your hand's going to be broken which one would you choose? And obviously neither of those is pleasant. No one wants to make the choice. Um, but there's a certain age, and it's about late 20s, early 30s. It's been shifting a little bit, but it's about 30, let's say, above which, if you ask that question, it's read almost as an insult. What a ridiculous question. Obviously, broken phone is, is better than a broken bone. But if you ask that question of teens and tweens and adolescents and people in their early 20s, it becomes a bit of a negotiation. It's a difficult question. So instead of being an insult, it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Let's think about this. And you get you get a bit of bargaining. So you get questions like, when I've broken my hand, can I still swap my phone? Um, how, much has, how much will they both cost to fix? Which I think is a legitimate question to ask. It's a wise question to ask. But the point is, about, about 40, 45% of young people will ultimately decide, you know what, I'd rather have a broken bone in my hand. I can handle that. They don't want to be without their phone so much that they'd rather have a broken bone in their hands. I'm so interested in this topic because I don't think it's just a trivial distraction or we're spending a bit more time. I think it's having real consequences for some of us with our physical and mental health. Yeah, I I agree. So I think it's had a huge effect on the way humans live their lives. And it it has to have had some effect on, on our well-being as well. Um, I think we really have to audit our screen behavior the way an, an auditor might audit the books for a company and say, let's look at each of these components. Where am I deriving the most well-being? What, what forms of screen use are bringing me huge benefits? And what forms of screen use are robbing me of, of psychological well-being? And for most people, if we talk about measures like happiness or um, engagement or concentration or focus, people find that Social media, a huge amount of social media use is bad. A huge amount of game playing tends to be bad. They report not feeling happy. Um, Doom scrolling or reading too much of the news is is not good for people. 
but people get a lot of enrichment from spending social time in front of screens with people who they can't otherwise see. Um, learning a language, educational experiences are incredibly enriching. Reading books on a screen, they really all have to be separated yeah. uh, because they provide such different benefits and also rob us of, of very different components of our psychological well-being. What is it about technology or certain kinds of technology that makes them so addictive? There is no natural endpoint to a lot of these experiences by design. So the companies that create them have done their very best to remove the natural points at which we might say, all right, I'm going to move on and do something different. We call these stopping cues. And in a lot of the experiences we've had, especially in the 20th century, but even in the early 21st century, there was a natural stopping cue built into them. So if you watched a TV show, you'd watch an episode and then it would be six days and 23 hours till the next one arrived. That was a stopping cue. You'd see the credits roll and you'd know, I'm not going to sit here for the next six, six plus days. I'm going to go do the next thing in my life. You read a book, you get to the end of a chapter. Eventually you get to the end of the book. Newspaper, end of the article, end of the newspaper. There were gentle hints that it might be time to move on. And, and I think humans take those cues pretty seriously and implicitly. The tech companies that make the products we use today, though, have done a lot to, to systematically remove those stopping cues. So everything is bottomless. You don't have to do much to get more and more and more content. There's no natural stopping cue or end that it's time to move on. It's true of, of you know, just the amount of information that's out there. There's no natural stopping point. When you play video games, most of them, you end the game and the next round just automatically begins. There's no grand game over screen. Insert your coins here. So I think the endlessness of a lot of experiences has sort of short-circuited our ability to say, well, maybe this is time for me to move on. And that's been a big part of what, what keeps people glued to an experience. I think one of the biggest problems for tech I think it's detrimental for relationships, massively. Husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, father, child, mother, child. I just, I just see relationships, including with myself, not being as fulfilled as they once were because of screens. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting you say relationship yourself. The relationships are, are so diverse. It's relationships within a generation. So a husband and wife, it's relationships upward, kids with their parents, parents with their kids. Um, one of the big shifts in the last few years is that kids have been now exposed sufficiently to phones that they're starting to demand things from their parents. When I first started talking about this, parents were tearing their hair out saying, I don't know what to do. I can't get my, my child to use the phone less or to you know go to the dinner table and actually sit there and have dinner and communicate with me. But just as much now, it comes from the younger generations. They're talking about how their parents aren't using the phone right in the right way. And so they can't access their parents. And occasionally I will, whether it's because I'm following Liverpool on the screen from, from afar or whether it's because I think that work is absolutely urgent in the moment, my kids will see me with the screen and I will look at them and I'll look at them looking at me with the screen and I feel incredibly guilty. I, I'm guilty of this as well. This, uh, you know, I'm teaching them that as important as they are to me, there is this other device that's grabbed a huge chunk of my attention in the moment. And so it's definitely harming my relationships even even if in small ways with my kids. It is hard. These things, as you've as you titled the book, they're irresistible. You know, it's not a human failing. It's actually that's how they're engineered. And I just want to make super clear that I am a perfectly imperfect human. I, I think I was called out by my daughter when she was four, actually. And and it was one of those moments where I thought, when she said, Daddy, you're not really here, are you? And it and it was like a an arrow to my heart and I was like yeah. yeah she's she's right I'm not I'm sort of in the room I'm physically 
in the same space, but mostly I'm a million miles away. Um, how have you sort of uh, navigated those things in your own life? We have a little box, actually. Um, there's a company called um, Intentionally Unplugged. They sell a little box. It's a very cute little thing, and you buy it, and then you put it in an area of your home that's a sensitive area. You'd like to not have devices present. And so for us, that's our kitchen. So when we're in that area, we try to put the phone in the box and to leave it there. A really big part of it is 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 making decisions that mean that you don't have to exercise willpower, that you just have a kind of structure in place. I think all the best interventions really do a great job of recognizing human fallibility and the fact that you know asking yourself to exercise self-control time and time and time again yeah. during a day when we're all too busy anyway and overrun and exhausted is just never going to work. Um, and so that's that's what my wife and I have done primarily is to try to, to institute a set of basic rules that we try to follow as often as possible. And I think that's that's made quite a difference for us. I, I think I've heard you talk about this before when I was researching your work, Adam. I think you mentioned that proximity to the phone often will determine how often you use it. Yeah, um, it's this old psychological concept known as propinquity. Um, which basically says that the things that are closest to you in physical space will have an outsized effect on your psychological experience of the world. So if your phone is near you, it will have a bigger effect on your experience of the world. It's a very obvious idea, but it's pretty profound and it has profound implications. So, you, you know, a lot of people, you say to them, would you, would you allow all the things that are on that phone to be implanted in your brain so you don't have a device? And people are very squeamish about that. And they say, no, that sounds horrible. I don't want that. I definitely don't want an implanted form of technology. But functionally speaking, if you ask adults, 75 to 80% of them will tell you that 24 hours of the day, they can reach their phones without moving their feet. So it, these devices are not inside our brains, but functionally, they are basically implants. They're a part of us. They're an extension of who we are. And so um, one, one way to gauge whether you're succeeding in your fight against using tech more than you'd like is to say, how many minutes of the day or hours of the day do I spend where I can't reach my phone without moving my feet? And if the answer is zero, that's a problem. So one thing to do is to start to build these periods in. The easiest one, and, and you've talked about this, I know, is, is to say whether it's 90 minutes or 60 minutes before bedtime, my phone will not be in the room with me. And when I'm in the bedroom, my phone will never be there with me, which then immediately carves out hopefully eight hours, seven and a half, eight hours of the, of the day where you are without your phone or away from your phone. And then during dinner time, a lot of people will say, this is another time when I should be nowhere near my phone. I don't want to sit at the table with my phone in my pocket or on the table with me. It should be in the, in the next room under lock and key. When I've had uh, screen-free Sundays or certainly a long walk in the country with my wife and my kids and we don't take our phones with us, I feel like I've been on a holiday when I come back. And it, because I think it really is amazing. You said it's functionally, it's, it's just an extension of our brains. That's how it feels. And I feel, I feel that, that they are so addictive that sometimes if they're there, you can't resist because that's the whole point of them. So actually you need to put a physical obstruction in the way. You do, yeah. And it's, it's interesting hearing people, they have these epiphanies, you know, whether it's a Sunday without the phone or more often than not, it's losing the phone. Hearing people yeah. who say, I just didn't know for a couple of hours where my phone was, and it was the best two hours of the last three months of my life. And, and realizing, oh, there's a correlation there between the presence of the phone and feeling not great. So um, this, this idea of experimentalism, of, of having a philosophy of saying, I want to know what the conditions are. Like, I, I'm currently living only one condition of my life, in condition using condition as the kind of, in experimental sense or the, the scientific sense. You know, you might have 
all these different potential ways of living your life and you're only living one of them. And the only way to know if there's a better alternative out there is to actually experiment, to try out these other ones. And so that might be if you're someone who drinks 16 cups of coffee a day, what would it be like if I drank 10? What about if I drank five? If you try these out, suddenly you have this period where you're exploring and experimenting. You then have a sense of what the options are, just as we all know what it's like. Well, a lot of us know what it's like to go out and have too many drinks, wake up the next morning and feel bad. We know the full set of options and we know the consequences. Yeah. In most cases with tech and with, with so many areas of our lives, we just don't know what the, what the counterfactual is. What, are we, what is the life we're not living? So I think so much of, of this kind of process of getting unstuck and then moving forward and progressing in our lives is knowing what the alternatives are. I think a digital detox is an incredible way of exposing to yourself what it would be like to be without screens in, in a broader period where you wouldn't even need a detox. Have a detox every day, whether it's dinner time or whether it's the hour after you wake up in the morning or you know an hour around lunch or whatever it is, as much as you can. Why are you doing what you're doing? Be mindful about it. So if you're using your phone, if you're picking it up, you get home from school at the end of the day and you pick up your phone and you're texting or WhatsApping or whatever it is that you're doing using Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok, what is it that you're doing that for? Why are you doing it? What is it bringing to you? What is the psychological need that it's meeting? Are you lonely? Are you bored? Are you anxious? Are you depressed? And once you understand why you keep turning to your phone, I think you have a better, a better understanding of how you might meet those needs in other ways. And I think one of the antidotes to tech in this world where we're just flooded with technology and with screens is, is to spend, I know this is difficult for people in very um, dense urban environments, but to the extent that you can expose yourself to even small bursts of nature, whether it's running water, wind through the leaves in a forest or in, in a park, it's incredibly restorative to do that. And so try, try to do that. And, and one way to kind of ask yourself if you're living well or right in a, in a way that I think is productive is to ask yourself how many minutes of the day can you tell what year it is by looking through your eyes? The, the scene around you tells you. So, you know, surrounded by screens and phones and lights and all this, the trappings of Zoom, Zoom calls right now. I know it's 2020. It couldn't be any other era. But when I go for a run, I'm a, I'm a big runner. I try to run almost every day. When I'm running, there are parts of, of town where I live, where I run, that are by the water, that are through forests. It could be 100 years ago. It could be 500 years ago. And with luck, that's how they'll, they'll look at 500 years. And there is nothing more restorative to me than that. So try to spend some of the day looking at scenes, whether it's into someone's eyes as you have a conversation, that's also timeless, or at scenes that are natural. And... Um, Try to spend some of the day where you have no idea what year it is. And I, I think that's that's one way of gauging whether you're living right. Timelessness. Yeah. That's that's a, a lovely thought. It brought a smile to me as I was sort of reflecting on that. I, I love that idea that, you know, when going in an environment where you don't know what year it is. It's what a wonderful way of thinking about it. really hope you enjoyed that bite-sized clip do spread the love by sharing this episode with your friends and family and if you want more why not go back and listen to the original full conversation with my guest now just a quick reminder my brand new book happy minds happy life 10 simple ways to feel great every day is available to order now if you like my podcast I really think you're going to enjoy this book. It contains loads of simple and practical strategies to help you look after your mind and enhance your mental well-being. 
This in turn is going to have a transformative impact on your happiness and your overall health. Now, I cover lots of different topics in the book, including how you can better deal with criticism, how to overcome a lack of motivation, how to build better relationships, and ultimately, how to experience more joy in your life. So if that sounds of interest, please do pick up your very own copy. It is available as a paperback, as an ebook, but also as an audiobook, which I am narrating. All links to order on both sides of the Atlantic are in the episode description in your podcast app. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back next week with my long form conversation on Wednesday and the latest episode of Bite Science next Friday.